Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. Uh, what he's passing around, you can just kind of stick that in the back of your Bible. You might want to refer to it as we go along. This will be a helpful takeaway. If you're a note taker, you may not need this reference. And as a matter of fact, I've got an even better reference for those of you that may choose to study um, eschatology eschatology, or just the prophetic support that comes from the Old Testament of the book of Revelations. Um, There's a lot to it. And so I've got a I got another document here, and I was just reading over it again uh, right before we ate, and it's so tiny, I had to get my phone and just put light on it so that I could read it. But it's so tiny because they have crammed everything um, that is in reference to what we're going to be studying. I said everything. There's no way to get everything on one page. But an enormous amount of material, including the Old Testament prophetic scriptures that support the book of Revelations, all on this one page. Now, if you want that, we can make copies of that. Um, You just let me know. Mr. Alfred Suttles will get right on that for us. Um, Otherwise, I can give you the the, uh, website reference. So you're welcome to do that. This is a very good piece. And uh, it will follow right along with what we teach this week as far as uh, uh, the document and and chronologically how things occur. And um, so anyway, this is a good reference as well. I don't necessarily want to pass this one out just yet or or give it out, but you're certainly welcome to to have it. Because what I do want to do is we we want to dive into this this book, uh, the book of Revelations. And um, we want to go with what the Word of God says. And I'll, I'll share more, uh, more with that as we get started. Thank you, sir. Let's. Would you put? Uh, just go ahead and copy off fifteen twenty of those, and then we'll have them in case somebody needs them. We don't have to figure out how to get a copy. Would you bow with us as we pray? Lord, we're, we're humble as we come before you, recognizing the insignificance of our knowledge of such topics. We come inadequate at best, but with an earnest desire to learn and follow to share. We pray for the unction of the Holy Spirit, the protection of your divine revelation. May it pierce all of our hearts and may we see into the depths of its truth and rejoice in the power and the purpose that it's been given. Thank you for what you're going to do as we trust earnestly for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with us to Revelations chapter number 1. Um, I'm going to share several things as we begin tonight. Um, I have loved the preparation this week. It's often, uh, sometimes I cheat, um, but I didn't get to this time. I, I've taught the book of Revelations before. And uh, I had a, a great deal of, um, of work that I had done, preparatory work and teaching it before. And I think I did it at Bible school before. 
maybe six or eight years ago. I can't remember now, but um, but I couldn't find my notes. And so I searched everywhere I knew to look. And I mean, the last resort was to ask my wife, and I was embarrassed. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I believe this is the Lord saying, I want you to start over. And so um, the last two weeks, I've, I've got 25 plus hours in, in getting ready for this. And that has been, for me, just the greatest joy to to go through this again and just to uh, to immerse yourself in the study of something that is so wondrous and terrifying and incredible. Uh, it, it just... It goes beyond what your mind can comprehend. I'll assure you that. You'll, you'll not grasp, ultimately, the fullness of it. I think the revelator did, John did as, as good as could be expected in what he was seeing, but some of it was so grand and so horrific and so joyous at times that human words fail us in how to describe such wonder. Uh, we live in a day where... Uh, a stage is being set. Uh, most of you in here are old enough to have seen the occurrences that have taken place over the last 50 years that have, as far as I'm concerned, set the stage for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the rapture. The next event in the Bible to take place is the rapture of the church. All right? As far as God's timeline goes, and I think it's even on that little helpful thing we gave to you there, the next event that will take place that is recorded in Scripture will be the rapture of the church. Now, the last events that we have recorded in Scripture, we have through the New Testament uh, that was given to us in those 27 books of the New Testament. We have the writings there that, that God gave to the church. And God gave, well, God gave to the Jewish people the gospel. The account of the gospels was given to the Jewish people. It's certainly applicable to us. But there are things in the four gospels that specifically relate to the Jewish nation. And and so we're going to look at, at those things in opposition to what he put in the epistles And where you hear of the return of Christ in the epistles, he's speaking of the rapture of the church. Now, he didn't speak of the rapture of the church in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When he writes concerning the second coming of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is speaking directly to the Jewish people. And the promise to the Jewish people is that Christ will return to the earth. That's not his promise to us. His promise to you and my, you and me occurred when he established the church at his resurrection. And he told the disciples, go and you wait until you be endued with power on, from on high. And when they were, they preached and thousands were saved. And there was born the church of Jesus Christ. And from the point of that, of Jesus' ascension back to the Father, that's when the church of Jesus Christ was established. As a matter of fact, you don't hear the word church in the Old Testament. Amen. Amen. At all. The church is from the ascension of Jesus Christ until today. That's right. Amen. We are the church. And the references to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that are mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read of it in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 and Luke 17, that is the Lord Jesus speaking specifically about a tribulation period and then the coming of the Lord Jesus to reign upon this earth for a thousand years. He's speaking to Israel. And when he speaks to Israel... And all throughout the Old Testament while he is speaking to Israel, he is referring to the nation Israel. And so everything that he speaks prophetically concerning the nation of Israel is concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is different than the rapture of the church. Amen. Amen. See, if you don't, if you don't know that, you're not going to be able to discern the truth. If you don't recognize the simplicity of the gospel, you see, what some think about revelations is that it's too hard for us to understand. Thank you, sir. It's too hard for us to understand or that it is all symbolic. That's all nonsense. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelations is the most uniformly and organized given book in the entirety of Scripture. Did you know that everything that the the revelator gives us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is in sevens? And the book is divided up in the past, the present, and the future. And what he says, he meant. Which means we are to take the reading of the book of Revelations literally. Right? Now there's all kinds of prophecy mongers out there that want to guess at this and guess at that. But let me tell you something. When you're guessing at the Word of God, you might as well have a loaded gun in your hand. Because that is a dangerous thing to do. Amen. You know what we can do? We can read it and we can trust it. Amen. So that's what I'd encourage you to this week. If you've come to be to be enamored or, or built up with some kind of sensational hypothesis that I have concerning what this means or that means, you're wrong. Because I think that is a terrible way to approach the book of Revelations. I believe we ought to read it and take it for what it says. Amen. Novel concept. How about we just believe what it says? Anybody believe that's a safe way to approach the Word? As a matter of fact, that's the way you should always study the Word of God. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? That's how you study the Scripture. And so we find the Word of God is relevant today. Now, the next event that will take place on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. That is not the second coming of Christ. You'll hear me say that several times because even we preachers get a little bit loose on how we preach. Because we just speak generically and say, He's coming! Mm -hmm. Which is true. Amen. He's coming! But what I want you to know is what I say, or what I mean, when I say He's coming, I mean the rapture could occur at any moment. Amen. Amen. That's what I mean when he's... Now, when he comes then, First Thessalonians will teach us. That's right. Right? Amen. Exactly what will happen. Right? Because First Thessalonians is one of the epistles. And when he speaks of the coming of Christ in the epistles, he is speaking to who? The church. And if he's speaking to the church, he's referring to the rapture, not the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, you're passionate about that. Yeah. Because if you don't get that right, you're going to misinterpret Matthew 24, 25, and Luke 17. You're going to misunderstand what Daniel 9 and 7 meant. You're going to misunderstand Zacharias, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, and Amos. 
if somehow you make what they say apply to the rapture of the church. Because it don't apply. We're talking about two totally different things. Chronologically, the next thing that's going to happen, I'm quizzing you class, is what? The rapture. The rapture. It is not the second coming of Christ. That's right. The second coming of Christ is a bodily coming. Amen. In which he will put down all. I'm getting ahead of myself, right? I'm already at the back of the book. Which reminds me of this. I, I trust J. Vernon McGee. He's been dead for 30 years now. But uh, a trusted scholar that I listen to quite often. And when I want a reference point, I'll go back and listen to his uh, to his teaching. And he's, he, he introduced revelations like this. He said when he was young and in the pastorate before he was married... Uh, he said on Sunday nights when, when, when he was done with all of his church duties, his hobby was to read. He liked to read uh, mystery novels, which I found interesting that he liked to read mystery novels. But he liked to read Agatha Christie and those kind of murder mysteries. And so he said on Sunday night, you know, he'd, he'd wind down, he'd get in bed and get a good murder mystery. And he said, before he knew it, about 12.31 o'clock, here he was, and, and, and the heroine was, was tied to the train tracks, and, and the train was coming. And the hero, he was tied to a chair in some warehouse with a stick of dynamite and a lit fuse, and, and, here, and, and he got to go to bed. And, and he said, I, I, you know, he, he didn't want to stop, right, because it, it had come to such a point that he needed to know. And so what he did, what he said, what I'd do is I'd just go over to the last page. <laughs> And he said, you see this wonderful picture of the heroine and the hero and they had this little baby and they were playing in the grass and they had this beautiful little house. And he said, I knew it was going to be all right. <laughs> and so he'd say, I'd go back to the other page and say, I don't know how you're going to get out of this, but it's going to be all right. <laughs> Aren't you glad we have Revelations? You know what Revelation says to us, right? When, when you're in these other pages... And you're pulling your hair out and saying, oh, Jesus, what's going to happen? Let me encourage you. Just go read the back of the book. Amen. Amen. Because what I intend to share with you this week is who's there. And the picture that Jesus gave to his people. You know why he gave it, Bill? Because we need that comfort. Amen. Amen. What an encouragement for me to know how it ends. I am a terrible football listener to anymore. I, I swore off all that stuff several years ago. I had to make a choice between football and God because it, it messed me up on Saturdays. Right? Emotionally, I was a wreck, especially if they lost, <laughs> which happened. And so I just decided to, to give it up. So what I do instead is I cheat. Right? I'll occupy myself till the game's over and I'll check the score. <laughs> And if we won, sometimes I'll go back and watch it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it likes a happy ending, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Life's too short to watch sad movies, Paul. Amen. Right? I mean, I got better things to do except than cry over a movie. Amen. Or a football game. Isn't it wonderful to be able to open up the book of Revelations and know absolutely that it's going to be all right? It is 100% absolutely going to be all right. Now, may I say the world today believes it to be the opposite for us. And I'm going to read you a current quote 
Uh, did anybody watch the Avengers movies? I watched them. Captain America is in the Avengers movie, Chris Evans. And I've got a quote from him. He happens to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear on the new cartoon. And uh, in the new cartoon, we had heard something about this and glad we did, but it's got some homosexual references in it, a woman kissing a woman. And you know what? I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not doing it. But when asked about it, here's what Chris Evans said. Now, this, this is where we're at in the culture today. Um, Evans responded to the critics who say, the film's kissing scene between two female characters portrays a pro-gay agenda. Quote, Chris Evans here, quote, the real truth is those people are idiots. He's talking about us, right? The people that say... I'm not watching. That's wrong. You're not going to indoctrinate my children on any more of this homosexual. He said, the truth is, is that those people, they're idiots. Evans said during an interview with Reuters Television, he said, there's always going to be people who are afraid and unaware and trying to hold on to what was before. But those people die off like the dinosaurs. I think the goal is to pay them no mind. March forward and embrace the growth that makes us human. Every time there's a social advancement as we wake up, the Americans we wake up, the American story, the human story is one of constant and social awakening and growth, and that's what makes us good. Okay? That's what our culture says. You know what he said about me? He said, I'm going to die off. Amen. Do you know what I read in Revelation? He is. You hear me? I actually know the future. Amen. It's recorded. Ain't that a blessing? Amen. Amen. If you're afraid of the book of Revelation, you need to get over that. That's right. This is a book filled with blessings. As a matter of fact, the first three verses, he says as much. That's right. This is a book filled with blessings because it is meant for us to embrace the truth of it and to recognize that what we have been given is the revelation of Jesus Christ to comfort his church and to advise us of all future occurrences. And you know what I know about the culture that we're living in today? They die off. That's right. Amen. Amen. I hope we're doing our best to tell them the truth about things. Give them an opportunity to believe the gospel and be born again. But if they don't, I know what happens to every last one. You say, preacher, that's a bit dogmatic. It is, isn't it? When the Word of God makes a statement, you can count on it. Amen. It will absolutely come true. Every unbeliever dies off in the end. Amen. Amen. So that's where our culture is today. You people are idiots. 
And you're all just going to die off like dinosaurs. And the world will just roll on and roll on. Let me give you a newsflash. If Jesus Christ comes in the rapture today, I know exactly what's going to happen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And that's why Revelations is a very important study. Sometimes when uh, you find yourself just overwhelmed by the by the ridiculous madness of this world that we live in, just go over to Revelations and read a while. Amen. It's meant to be a blessing to us. Uh, let me start with a quick introduction to the Book of Revelations. I hope that's wet your whistle. I, that you know you're now. Uh, in, engaged to try to, to be here all this week and let's let's dive into this book and just see what it says and, and quite frankly let's see what it doesn't say right because there's been a lot of people over the years that have taken liberties with the yes. word of God this should not have been right I mean they, they make statements about well this means that and this means that listen if it don't say it means that you better be careful about what you go assigning to the Word of God. He Amen. warns us of that in the first of the book and the last of the book. He warns us about manipulating or messing around with the doctrine in it, the truth that's in it, because he meant what he said, and I believe we can trust what he said. And so what we're going to do is we go through the book of Revelations. Number one, we're going to take it absolutely literal. Unless he says it's symbolic. You say, wait a minute, I don't have to figure out what's symbolic and what's literal? No. Every time John means something symbolic, he says it's like this. That means it's symbolic. It is like something. If he don't say it's like something, you take it for what it says. Because that's what it means. Unless we're given information to otherwise interpret. Now, that's the best way to do any scripture. Right, is to take it for what it says. And so we should take it for what it says. Revelations was written by John the ba- John the Beloved. Not John the Baptist, two different people. John the Beloved, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, the apostle who lived longer than any of the other apostles. As a matter of fact, he penned this one, they estimate, about the year A.D. 95. That would have made John at least in his 90s as well. John was exiled by Nero Domitian, a very wicked and cruel dictator of the Roman Empire. Uh, Two after Nero, you'll remember Paul experienced Nero's wickedness and his own beheading. The apostle John makes it to Domitian, who actually was only in rule for a year or two, but was above all the most wicked Nero to rule. And one of the things he did to try and eliminate the gospel of Jesus Christ and its preachers was he took John, who was the beloved apostle at this time, the only living one who had still been with Christ. Right? That's the difference between apostles and disciples. Apostles had been with him. You remember the apostle Paul? Apostle Paul. He was called the apostle. You say, why? Because he seen Christ. Amen. Right? It was just in a different way. Right? He seen him on the road to Damascus in a very real way. He met him and seen him in person. But the rest of them, you know, they walked with him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the account of all those things. And so we find that the Apostle John, under the uh, wicked rule of Nero Domitian, 
was exiled to a rocky, uninhabitable, penal colony on the island of Patmos. It is where they put prisoners, right? They put them in a boat. They take them way out there on this isolated island where you know you couldn't get away. There was no there was no real help, right? There wasn't a Kroger's on the corner or a CVS or a Hardee's, right? They just drop you on this island. It was meant to punish you, and they would stick you on this island, and they get in the boat and go back, right? And there you are, and and you're stuck to figure it out. And that's where John. The, the beloved was. He was on the island of Patmos and he was being uh, he was being punished for preaching the gospel. Now, we know he would come off the island of Patmos because he had a message by the time he'd left this place. We find that the Lord visited him on this island. Let's say this, that you may be going through a hard time, but don't give up. It may be the hard time when he visits your island. Right? So never 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 underestimate the value of a valley. When it comes to God, he utilizes those quite well. He'll get you when you're in your lowest point and when you're listening the most carefully. That's when he'll speak to you. So let him do that. John was on the Isle of Patmos and he received a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the revelation of John the Beloved. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. The entire 22 chapters of this book is about one man, and that is Jesus Christ, the glorified Redeemer of all mankind. That's what this book is about. It is meant to exalt him, to glorify him, and to establish his rule and reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings over everything that he does. Right? And we get the grandest of privileges to be able here in 2022 to look into who knows when and with all confidence tell you, I know how it's going to be. Amen. Well, that's, that's just the bestest of feelings in all the world is to be able to say, I know how this all works out. You say, well, you've got a great deal of confidence that you somehow are going to be in the lucky ones. It ain't nothing to do with luck. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No, I just, I just happen to know him. Right? That's right. What this book says about him and what he's going to do. I know him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I talked to him today. <laughs> Amen. Matter of fact, he don't ever leave me. <laughs> That's pretty good, ain't it? Does that make anybody feel good? Yeah, I'm trying to make you feel good before we start because I'm telling you, <laughs> get back and six, your knees going to be knocking together. Go ahead and get something kind of scary. Amen. It sure does. But again, I know where I is during that time. I'm going to get to watch that whole scary thing. I ain't going to be here. Praise the Lord. Amen. That absolutely tickles me to death. Yeah. That just makes me so happy. And you know what? I wouldn't know any of that if I didn't know the book of Revelation. Amen. So whatever's kept you out of the study of this book, you probably ought to turn loose of that fear and grab hold to the truth that's in the book because it's meant to be a blessing. That's what it says. Now, Revelations is the 66th chapter book in the Bible. That means, right, to you folks that ain't from Six Mile and have great arithmetic skills, that there are 65 books that come before you. And your understanding of the 65 books that come before Revelation are absolutely necessary for you to understand the last 
right. Amen. You say, right, oh. I don't know much about them Old Testament books. Let me read you a quote. Where to put it? Here it is. It is calculated that there are over 500 references or allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Wait, preacher, did you say 500? I did. So your understanding of the Old Testament has a great deal to do with your understanding of this book. Some of us didn't know that, did we? We didn't know that Zacharias and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and Joel and Amos and Psalms and... mm -hmm, were all important. Yeah. Yeah. Over 500 references or allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelations itself. Of its 404 verses, 278 of the verses in the book of Revelation contain references to the Old Testament. You say, why is that? The Old Testament was to who? Israel or the church? Israel. And the message to Israel, the promise to Abraham and to Israel was, is that Jesus Christ is coming back to reign. Right? That's what he promised. He promised them a land. He made all kinds of promises. That's where all the prophecies of the Old Testament come in. And all of those are reference to a victorious Christ who comes back to the earth and rules and reigns, right? We find myriads and myriads of Old Testament scriptures that, that describe the city, describe the, the 12 gates, tell of Amen. the judges on the 12 gates, tell of all, right? It, 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 what we go through in the book of Revelations, if you've read any of the Old Testament, you're going to say, I've heard that before. That's right. Your understanding of the Old Testament has everything to do with your understanding of the book of Revelations. Because the Old Testament was written to Israel and Israel as a nation would receive a king. And so what we find from chapters 6 and 7 of Revelations on to the end is, is God's dealing with, because God raptures the church out. And then we have the church gone and then God deals with Israel. That's what the great tribulation was about. God dealing with the wickedness of man and also dealing with Israel. And then we have his second coming at the end of, of, of when he comes and he puts all down and puts the devil in for a thousand years and all that stuff. It, all of that ties directly into all of those Old Testament scriptures. But you've got to understand who they're writing them to. The Old Testament and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was to Israel. Now, it doesn't mean that the words in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John aren't applicable to us, nor that the Old Testament scriptures aren't applicable to us. But when it comes to the second coming of Christ, they are absolutely applicable. You must know who he was writing to to understand the reference to the prophet. And once we get that clear, then what we understand is, is that the Lord Jesus is, is coming in the rapture. He's not coming to the earth. He's going to call us. Amen. Right? Amen. He don't set foot on the earth in the rapture. He just calls us on. 
Apostle Paul's clear about it in the book of Thessalonians. Yes, sir. He said, with the voice of the archangel and the shout and the trump of God, and he said, when they sound, we're gone. That's right. Amen. That's the rapture. But we refer to it as the church as his coming. Because that's what he told his disciples when he left, right? That was the church he was speaking to. And the angel said to them, said, Why stand you here gazing? For that same one that you see leaving, he said, He's going to come back in like manner. On the clouds. What's he referring to? The rapture. What book of the Bible did we get that information? Acts. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We got it in Acts. Which is, right, if we get that clear in our head that from Acts to Revelations or Acts to the end of Jude, that's the church. That is the church of Jesus Christ. And when He speaks of His coming to the church, He's speaking of the rapture. Now, we do not have time to go through all Old Testament Scriptures. I've mean, told you people how many there are. We don't have time to go through Luke 17. We don't have time to go through Matthew 24 or 25. But what you need to understand is who is He talking to when He says those things? Because as long as we understand that, then we understand what coming He is referring to. And when it comes to the church, the only coming we're worried about is when that trumpet sounds. That's right. Amen. And the church is called away. Now we're going to see that in Revelations. We're going to see that very event in Revelations. And I hope that it gives you comfort because it's meant to. It's meant to help us. All right. We're still talking about the introduction to the book. It is a book of blessing. And it is a blessed book. Chapter 1, verse number 3 said, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Blessed is he that readeth. Let me encourage you to read this book. It is meant to be a blessing, and I can assure you it is a blessed book. The purpose of the book is stated in chapter number 1, verses 1 through 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto his angel, unto his... I missed that. God gave unto him to shew, here's the purpose, to shew unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. That's the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to declare those things which must, which must shortly come to pass. Who was it written to? Chapter, uh, verse number 4. Chapter 1, verse number 4. It was written to the seven churches which are in Asia. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. This book is meant for all believers. Believers cannot afford to ignore the immense truth this book contains. In fact, we're commanded not to. Revelations chapter 22, verse number 10 says this. It, he told John, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. 
Amen. The events predicted and depicted in Revelation are not distant, obscure novelties. They're the next events in the Lord's Messianic timetable. He didn't give us this book as a curiosity. We have a responsibility to know what's in it, and we have a responsibility to believe it. It's a responsibility that comes with a blessing. Revelation begins with a promise to its readers. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. That's in verse number 3. Then the words are echoed in the last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 7, making this the only book of the Bible that begins and ends with the promise of blessing to the one who reads it. Amen. Tell me of any other book in the Bible where it promises to bless you in the first chapter and it promises to bless you in the last chapter. And yet, chances are, we give revelations the least amount of our time. And it's meant to be a blessing for us. So the word is to the churches. And we will be introduced to the churches in the first few chapters. But the Lord is the word is from, and that's what we'll get in verses 5 through 8. And I want to read those. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. We're introduced there to the Supreme, the Almighty, the one and only, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we find much more than this, right? The first chapter is basically exalting Jesus Christ, right? Establishing, number one, who He was and who He is. And that's the way John goes about this book. It's not confusing. It's, it's very well laid out. It starts with the past, it goes to the present, and then it goes into the future. Right? One, two, three. And each time he does it, he tells you where you're at and what you're doing. Right? It's not that difficult. And if we take it literally for what it means, we can at least follow along and see chronologically what's taking place. So what we see is that this book is written from Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not John the Blood. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given unto John. He penned it down and then he brought it back to the churches and the churches got it. He is, it says, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. Number four, he is he that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. He is he that made us kings and priests unto God. He is to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He is the I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. He is the glorified Christ. He is the one to which the entire book is centered on. Verses 11 through 18 in this book, we're going to see, number one, the person of Jesus Christ. That's in chapter number one. We'll see also the possession of Jesus Christ. That's in chapters two and three. What is the possession of Jesus Christ? 
It's his church. And then we'll see number four, the plan of Jesus Christ. That's the future. And that's what we see in chapters 4 through 22. It's well laid out, right? It's meant for us to understand this. The book of Revelation is unique in that it doesn't originate or begin anything. Amen. This book is not starting anything. This is the consummation of all things. This is where all things end. It starts nothing here nor end. It ends everything here. In this book, we have the consummation of all Scripture. It is it starting to become evident of the importance of this book? Amen. What began in Genesis 1-1 is consummated right here. Amen. The end. Of in the beginning, He created. Ends right here. That's right. Amen. You say, what are you saying, preacher? you got a book that has the beginning and all the way to the end. That's exactly what I'm saying. We need to know what this book says. Because this is the ending of all things. All things. Ends. In this book. If you want to know the ending to any subject. Right here it is. It's imperative to a right understanding of the book. To be able to trace each great subject of prophecy. From the first reference in the Old Testament. To the end declared in this book. This is the reason that a knowledge of the rest of the Bible. Is Imperative. An understanding of the book of Revelation requires that we have Old Testament information that goes along with it. That's what ties it all together because this book is the consummation of all that those writers said before. This is what ends what they start. Amen. Revelations, thank God we had to have this book. Anybody ever tried to put together a puzzle and you was missing one piece? <coughs> right? You, you work hours and you get to the last and you got one of them holes and you're saying, where did that piece go? You turn everything upside down trying to find the one. Revelations is the piece. That's right. If you don't get revelations, friend, you simply don't understand what he plans to do. And He's shown us. He's given it to us. He's told us what He plans to do. That's invaluable. That is incredible. That is, that is amazing that God would, would send to us. And what He said to Daniel when He gave Daniel that prophecy. You remember Dan? He gave Daniel that great prophecy concerning the, those, those kingdoms that would rise. And, and then He told him some stuff. And He told Daniel, He said, seal it up. Seal it up. Eat it. He said, give that to no one. And there were parts of what Daniel saw he never got to say. You know what he said to John in the last part of Revelations? He said, do not seal this book. Amen. Amen. You know why? Because he wants you to know. That's right. He wants you to know I'm in control and always have been. There will come a time on this earth 
when the church won't be here, but there's going to be some stuff happen on this earth and it's going to look like I'm out of control. I just want you to know I ain't out of control. I just want you to know I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen before it even happens. So that you know when it happens that I'm still in control. That's a powerful book. It does all that for us. I just, I, I literally couldn't sleep hardly one night because my mind would not stop thinking how excited I was that I'm a part of the church. And I just got to see all the stuff I ain't going to see. I am so grateful I don't have to go through that stuff. Amen, brother. And I am absolutely going to prove to you that we will not be here. That's right. I'm going to prove that to you. It's in the Word of God. I, I'm, I'm talking about pages. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that we, if we don't get anything else settled, then I'm, I'm going to absolutely, absolutely convince you why we are called pre-millennialists. Amen. 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 As a matter of fact, all the amillennialists and the postmillennialists, postmillennialists have already given up, by the way. Amen. Ain't none of them left. Amen. I'm not kidding. You're right. Ain't none of them left. And the ones that were postmillennialists, they've already moved to the amillennialists, which means we're all going through the tribulation now. That's what the amillennials believe. That's right. Amen. That we're going through it now, and they lose the ground quick. <laughs> Amen. Because not only is it logical to understand the Scripture, but it's rational. He says it, he says it, he says it, he says it, he says it. I bet I've got 14 references that clearly state what's going to happen to the church and where they will be. He clearly shows us where we will be during the entire event. Amen. Pardon me, but if that doesn't make you excited, <laughs> let me say this. If you're giving God half of yourself, shame on you. Praise yeah. the Lord. Amen. You ought to run shouting every day of your life, squalling to God for the immense of. The opportunity to be a child of the King and a part of the church of Jesus Christ that will be raptured for all eternity. We will not go through the tribulation. We ought to shout and thank God. He had a plan. And He did not include the church in that suffering. Amen. God, that makes me excited. And if that don't excite you, you need to repent. Amen. You need to get right with God and understand what He's done for you. And you need to get your life in order. And you need to get your priorities in order. Because there is one who matters. Amen. That is the man in charge of all that is going to happen. Bless him, Lord. Amen. You say, well, you can't say that so dogmatically. I absolutely can Check every reference in the Scripture where God said, I am going to judge the earth and find out what He did. What did He do with Noah? Saved him. Where was Noah during the flood? Safe. What did He do with Lot? Saved him. Where was Lot during the fire and brimstone when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and still destroyed today? 
save. Amen. Amen. God's character to save. That's right. Before he judges. Amen. It don't surprise us a bit that his plan from the very beginning is to take his bride out before he deals with the wickedness. Amen. That makes sense, don't it? Yes. <coughs> Any groom in here would have liked that for your woman? <laughs> I think I'll put her through hell before I marry her. <coughs> no, that's the character of God. That's the character of God is to want to save before he judges. That's been his character from the beginning. And he ain't changed. It's the same God. What a book. The outline of the book, I think, is extremely important. And I'm going to refer to this simple outline. We'll find it in chapter number 1, verse number 19. Here is what the Lord told John to write. He said, write the things which thou hast seen. That is past. And the things which are, that is present. And the things which shall be hereafter, that is future. Chapter number one is the past, the things which you have seen. John the Beloved had seen the glorified Savior. He walked with him, he talked with him. He saw him crucified, he saw him resurrected. He saw him ascend back to the Father. Those are the things which has been seen. Amen. What is past in the book of Revelation is the life of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now the ascension of the glorified Christ sitting at the right hand of God the Father alongside the ruler of all, the Almighty. Those are the known things. That is the past. John saw the past. And chapter number one is simply an exaltation of the Christ who died and rose again from the dead, ascended back to the Father. That is the past. And chapter number one deals with those things that you have seen, John. And so he writes them. That's what chapter 1 is about. Chapters 2 and 3, he deals with the things that are. Now, since the ascension of Jesus Christ into 2022, July, is what we call the age of the church. Chronologically, to Christ's, the messianic timetable, that nothing happened in 2000, 2000 years. You know why? Because God is merciful. He just keeps saving. That is where we are. The church is where we are now. So we will go into chapters 2 and 3 with the understanding that John is writing where we are. Now, you say, wait a minute, were those not real churches? Yes, they all were. We'll get into that when we dive into chapters 2 and 3. I just want you to get the outline. Chapter 1 is the past. Chapters 2 and 3 is the present. The church age. Church now, church then. The church. 
chapters 4 through chapter 22 is then the future. Right? He clearly says it when we get to it. You'll see it in those scriptures. Past, present, future. Amen. Amen. And that's how you that's how you attack the book. Right? Do not go into chapters 4 and think they apply to today. Amen. Mistake. That's the why this outline is important. Past, present, future. It's what he told John to write. It is the order that he gave it to him to write it in. You see it clearly in between chapter 3 and chapter 4 that something happened at the end of chapter 3. Because when you open up in chapter 4, you see the people that were on the earth in chapter 3. Now they're in heaven. That's the rapture of the church between chapter 3 and chapter 4. That going forward is everything in the future. So, while we're studying the future portion of Revelations, do not be tempted to make anything you read then applicable to now. Why? Because that's not what it was given for. It is given as future events. And if you try to make them current day events, you're going to be all fouled up. Now, are there things that are happening today that make us, or happening out there that make us think, oh, that sounds like what's happening today. Ain't that what we say all the time? Ooh, I think Jesus is coming. I believe the Antichrist is right out there, right now. He may be. But I can tell you this, if what we're reading from chapters 4 through 22, those are applicable to the future. You cannot make, cannot make them applicable to now. That's not what they were given for. They were given as future events. So if you mess that up, right, you're, 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 all of your interpretation of that scripture is going to be clouded. It's going to be perverted, actually, because it will be wrong. Chapters 2 and 3 are the present. Chapters 4 through 22 are the future. All right. Uh, what, what time is it? 8.04. Already? <laughs> Let's start with the present now. We, we know the past. The past is our, our risen Lord. All of those things John had seen and had... Uh, had beheld. And he recorded them in chapter 1. And he exalted the Lord. He's high and lifted up. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are made up of those seven letters to the seven churches throughout Asia Minor. Now in my study of these seven churches, they were... Some of them don't exist today. Some of them, well, most of them are gone. These cities you read about were real cities. They had geographical points on a map. They had their own cultures and civilization. There were absolutely things that were specific and unique to them that the Word of God actually addresses for us. So there are three ways to see the seven churches which are. Number one is to recognize that each one of these churches were actual churches. Okay? They were literal churches. When he said, write this to the church in Ephesus, that is the exact church he meant the letter to be written for. 
So that church did exist. It had people. It had a congregation. It had a pastor. They had they had they had what they did well. They had what they didn't do well. And 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 the Lord addresses in each letter to these seven churches. He addresses it specifically in these words. Number one, seven real churches. But number two, these seven churches are also represented representative of every stage of a church. That's the wrong word. They are representative of every type of church in the body today. Amen. Okay? What you're going to find is that there are seven different types of church. I've got them wrote down. There's the apostolic church, the martyr church, the worldly church, the ritualistic church, the uh, Protestant church, the revived church, the apostate church. All seven of those church states have existed throughout all of time, every century, every decade. Right now, today, in 2022, there are each of these seven types of church that exist out there today. That's number two. But number three, and we wouldn't know this except for a lot of smart people that, that, are, that are good at history. But number three, we also know that each one of these churches represent a stage of the church. Starting with the church at Ephesus. And chronologically going all the way to the end of the church at Laodicea. And I tried to be careful in my study of this to write down the time periods that our historians, Bible historians, have put to each of these church ages. The church at Ephesus being the first one. And there's a time frame, you know, from this date to that date. And then the next church, that date on you know, 200 years to that day, and then all the way to the day where we are today. So there's three ways to see the seven churches. One, they're literal churches. Two, they're the, they're the type of church that exists everywhere all the time. And then three, it also is a view of the church from beginning to end. Okay? That's important, right? That we, we understand that when we're seeing these churches... There are three pictures in how we see it. All right, that brings us to the first letter, chapter number two, verse number one. I'm going to read it unto the angel of the church of Ephesus right now. The angel of the church, that word uh, angel, has anybody got a Greek translation? Messenger. Or the Greek for that is presbyteros, which we get the word presbytery. Who was the angel of the church? The pastor. That makes sense? You're going to write a letter? Who are you going to give it to? Give it to the pastor of the church, the messenger, the presbyteros. You give it to the angel of the church. The letter was written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. He said, write these things. He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He said this, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, 
and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of the place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In every letter to the church, you will find in the first verse or two a reference to the glorified Christ that was given to us in chapter 1. Every time. Fascinating, isn't it? Every letter to the churches begins with telling the churches who's sending the letter. And in every reference, it refers specifically to some of the attributes, characteristics, adjectives used to the glorified Christ that were given to us specifically in chapter 1. I think that's powerful. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Um, somebody go back and find that reference in chapter number one. I'm going to move on while you do that. Um, in each one of these letters, you'll find a reference to the, to the Lord that was given specifically to us in chapter number one. What you'll also find is that the end, at the end of every letter, he makes a statement. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Right? Every one of the letters, he says the same thing. This is who I am, and he pulls that from who he said he was in chapter 1. And at the end, he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. You better listen to me, is what he's saying. The other thing that you will find common about each of the letters to the seven churches is number one, and I'll give you the exceptions, but in most cases, each church had commendation, that's what you did right, and condemnation, what you're doing wrong. The only churches that, that are an exception to this, let me make sure I get them right, I jotted that down. Um, number one was the church of Smyrna, and then the church of Philadelphia. These two letters to these two churches had only commendation, no condemnation. Okay? So let me ask you a question. I'm just going to try to make it real for you. So if it's true that what I said is that of these seven types of churches, they all exist within Christendom today, are you one of the two churches that had no condemnation? That perked my ears up. There were two of the seven that he had no problem with. Is that your church? Is that your church? Every one of the churches exists right now. Somewhere. We, we, we kind of tried to go through this here at this church one time, trying to figure out which church we were. 
I'll tell you right now, that was an enlightening and scary experience. Because I can tell you the church I want to be. And it's one of them too. Matter of fact, if you give me a choice between the two, I don't want to be Smyrna. I want to be Philadelphia. Amen. Right? You'll find out why. That's big. Because what if your church is one of those that he said, but I got something more against you? Then I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get right. You need to do what he said to the first church and the other churches. Repent. Get right so that you might be the other church. So you can be the other church, even if you're not that church now. And I personally think that we can take it right on down to Mikasa. Not just New Providence, but this old house. Amen. Which church is this man? That's where your church really gets it. That's right. It, it's designation is it's from who you are. So is it important that we see what he said to these seven churches? Mm. As a matter of fact, listen to me now. You are the church. And the only time he speaks to you in this book are in these two chapters. You better pay attention because what he says in these two chapters are for you. What he says in chapters 4 through 22, that's something totally different. All that stuff's after the rapture. What he says in chapters 2 through and 3, that's for you to learn. So that makes all seven of these Letters to these churches absolutely vital to our own heart. We can't exclude one of them lest it be me. Right? We can't let go of one of these churches with the, with the notion that it, that could be the one that describes me. Who I am. Seven specific churches. Seven conditions of the churches and seven time frames of the churches. The format is the letter was always sent to the pastor. There was a commendation in every letter, but five of the letters also had, let me back up, I said that wrong. There was a commendation in six of the letters. There was one church that had no good thing to report. Amen. I'm not going to tell you who it is. We'll get there. But there was one church had no good thing to report. There were two churches that had no bad thing to discuss. But the letter was for all seven churches. All right. Now what time is it? I keep, oh, it's up there. 8.18. All right, let's start with uh, let's start with church number one, the church at Ephesus. I read it. The Ephesian church was orthodox in its doctrine, right? Look at what he said about them. He said, I know thy works. Orthodoxy is works. What are you doing for God? 
I know your orthodoxy. I know what you're doing. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Here is a people that are trying to do and do and do for God. They know the difference between right and they know the difference between evil and they hate the evil and they do the right and they do the right and they have labor in doing it and they have patience in doing it. You can't stop them from doing, doing, doing the good works. Right? And the Lord says, that's good. That's good. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and they are not. You have found them liars. You've proved them. Right? They ain't nobody pulled the wool over your eye. You ain't let them, them, them wolves in sheep's clothing come into your houses. You've not let those false prophets and false pastors and teachers come into your churches. You've proved them. You've made them stand up to the Word of God. And if they weren't of it, He said you, you cast them out. You've borne. You've carried it. And you had patience. And for my name's sake, you have labored and you have not fainted. Right? Oh, no, no, she just loved them people. They don't ever give up. Right? They, 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 like, a, like, a, they like a good tick, right? They just hold on. They don't give up. Right? They, they're going to do those good things. And you know what the Lord said? He said, that's good. That's good. But there's a problem in your house. Amen. There's a problem in this church, he said, and you're going to have to deal with it because I'm fixing to get severe with my chastening to you if you don't deal with this issue. He said to them, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. You, you've, you've left the main love. You've left the love that got you to love. You have worked so hard until now what is important is not Him, but the works. You have been patient and you've borne this and you've you've made sure that it was right and right and right and right and, and wrong. You had nothing to do with it. He said, but while you were doing all this, he said, you stopped loving me. That's a dangerous place to be as a church. Orthodox in your practices. You know what everybody says about you, Jeff, if you're an Orthodox church? That's a good church. They're doing it right. You won't slip one in on harmony. No, they'll try you. They'll boot you right out of there if you're a false prophet. They work and they work and they work and they're patient and they have born and they have labored. And the Lord said, there ain't nothing wrong with none of that. He said, but while you were doing all that, you forgot me. And he said, let me be real clear. You'll get that right now. 
where he said, I'm going to remove the golden candlestick. Amen. You know what the golden candlestick is? That's the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. You ever been in a church that was doing everything right, but it felt like it was a morgue? <laughs> Amen. What was wrong? You know why they didn't have the Spirit of God? Because they left the first one. Well, that's good, ain't it? I got a feeling that every one of our churches has been to this church at one point or another. Right before anybody goes pointing fingers, I bet that at some point or another we've all been this church. We work, 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 and we will not tolerate sin. Matter of fact, we're on the borderline of enjoying judging people. We like to work so much. We like to hold to the right. God said, ain't nothing wrong with doing it right. He said, no, I commend you for that. Your orthodoxy, spot on. He said, but you left the main thing. That makes your orthodoxy worth very little. You know why? Because it has no spirit. There's nothing to it. You kill yourself working for God, but if you didn't do it for God, Amen. you just wasted your time. Yes, now, I don't have any doubt they'll come along and slap you on the back and say, boy, he's a good because he's got the orthodoxy down. He's got the works. There's a lot of Pharisees had the works, but they didn't have the relationship no more. That's right. Amen. We're all about this self-righteous stuff right now. I can tell you, it's spot on my heart. We got Phariseeism down pat. Works, works, works. Well, the Bible says, right? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Unless you don't love them while you say them. Don't you tell me you ain't done it. You've looked at them and pointed your finger and told them the truth and all the while you did it because you were upset and judgmental and from a high point looking down. You know what's wrong with that? No loving the Lord said, I get what you're doing. I commend you for that. He said, but you better hear me now. You've left your first love. You've left the relationship part, which is between me and you. And he said, the minute you leave that, you're on shaky ground. I don't care what your works are. Amen. Because if you keep this up and you do not repent of this... <coughs> I will remove the spirit from that body. Absolutely. God help us. I've had had actually people come to me and said, I have been in churches where I could not feel the spirit of God. Amen. And that scares me to death. I sure hope that ain't what they say about this church. Amen. Because we could have every program and every good thing and every, we could do everything the Bible says to do, but if we don't love Jesus, 
If He ain't the reason we're doing it, if our heart ain't 100% into worshiping God and everything else is just a byproduct of our love for Jesus Christ, then we need to repent. Amen. And those churches exist today. Yes. And I'm just going on record. I don't want it to be this one. Amen. I'm not interested in that kind of church, as a matter of fact. Exactly. There's all kinds of denominations that are built off of orthodoxy. Do, 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 do. That's all it is. And as long as you do, you're good shape. That's what they tell you. You're going to heaven because you did this and you did this and you did this and you did... Let me tell you something. Going to heaven has nothing to do with any of that. Amen. You'll have a relationship with Jesus Christ and fall in love with Him or you will go to hell. Amen. Now, what he was telling that church is, is I do know you. But you forgot me. You have loved me, he said. And he said, you need to get back to that first love. Because your church is deficient of the most important thing. And that is me. That is me. Not just my orthodoxy. Me. And if your church is deficient of me... He said, you better repent because the chastening is severe. Now, you say, preacher, what, what happens if God removes His Spirit from the church because they won't repent? Well, they're going to be in bad shape. But guess what? They can repent. Right? How do you know? Because He said so. He said, if a man's in sin, he said, if you confess your sin, he said, I'm faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's what he said to who? The church. That's what he said to the church. I'll tell you right now, if there's a church out there today and they're, they're doing everything they can, they just ain't doing it for God, they can get right. Amen. All we got to do, according to what he wrote to the Ephesus church, is repent. Go back to your first love. Well, 829, we're out of time. That's church number one. We got six more churches to go to, and that's just to deal with the present. All right? So I'll try to keep it in high gear. We got to keep moving um, because I want to get to the future because that is so exciting. So I want to get to the future. But listen. Uh, I've done made up my mind. The most important thing to you, the church, is what he said to the church. So I am going to get all seven of these churches because that is what he said to us. Then we'll start looking at what he said about the future. All right, come back tomorrow night if you can. Pray for us. Invite somebody to come and be with you. Uh, if you'll bow with us, we'll dismiss in prayer. I don't think they come back up. I think we're just at liberty to go at the end of this. It's 8.30, all right? Lord, thank you for the time. We thank you for the spirit. We thank you for the precious book you have given us. This revelation of yours that allows us, God, to be calm and grateful as we think about what the future holds. We love you. We thank you for this peace. We ask it earnestly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.